Chapter Twenty Five of the Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five: Shirking Responsibility. Her husband's communication had filled Mrs. Coleman with astonishment. She had, it is true, been the prime factor in bringing about this change in his business, but she did not realize it. The simple fact is that Jenny Coleman had been one of those girls and had become one of those women who did not realize anything. Individual responsibility was a question that she had not studied. She had married, as many another has, without any distinct idea of the responsibilities of married life. Take, for instance, that one question, money, which really from first to last is productive of more evil, perhaps, than any other domestic question under the sun. And when Jenny Coleman assumed her place in life as a matron, what did she know about it? Her father called himself poor, and her life had been a struggle, she believed, with poverty. But her idea of struggling was to coax her father, and in later years her mother, until she succeeded in making them realize that she must buy the thing she wanted, or must go to the place she selected, or must do the thing she pleased, and once convinced the money was forthcoming somehow. Why should it not be the case in her married life? Her father had always been managed, why should not her husband need management? She utterly ignored, or to do her justice she never understood, the difference between a man of business, who, though it may press him hard, and he may think the demand unnecessary and therefore foolish, can nevertheless secure a few hundred dollars additional, and push through from year to year, and a young clerk whose entire resources are covered by his monthly salary, and who can no more command an additional hundred or two than he can command an extra pair of hands to meet his emergencies. Utterly failing to recognize this difference, of course Mrs. Coleman had seen trouble, and trouble in various forms was deepening around her. She was opening her eyes daily to the fact that her marriage was a sickening failure. Her husband did not satisfy her, and it was a humiliating truth that she evidently did not satisfy him. Did she then really love her husband? Or, to go back of that, had she ever loved him? In all honesty and solemnity I have to answer no. I do not think she ever had. She admired him, she liked him, she was fascinated by his faultless manners and careful dress, and marked admiration of herself, and she labeled these feelings love, when she ought to have known that genuine love is both unselfish and discriminating. He, on his part, reached but very little higher in his views and feelings, except that he fancied himself ready to give her all he could, to take upon himself the responsibility of her support, to labor for her from day to day. In short, he realized, of course, that he was giving, and at times at least was willing to give, while she realized that she was accepting, and stood at all times ready to accept, whatever he could be prevailed upon to give her. Oh, I realize my own failure in trying to put this difficulty— that is as old as the world, into words. It is an oft-told story. I tell you, the excitement of the opera or theatre, or of fashionable party life, 
do not fit people to make wise, deliberate, unselfish choices for life's journey. These two people had met each other a hundred times when they were well-dressed and in society, and doing their best to shine. It was actually almost all they knew of each other until they met in that shabby genteel boarding-house, bound to be companions, in hours when neither felt like making the slightest effort to shine in any way. Well, was the shipwreck which they were making of it absolutely necessary, even then? No, oh no. Utter shipwreck of human happiness is rarely, thank God, a necessity, even though grievous blunders have been made. If Jenny Coleman had but begun her married life as a Christian woman, recognizing the responsibilities that she had assumed before God, resolved to struggle with her faults, resolved to bear with the faults of her husband, false and foolish as her ideas of married life were, she would have saved her heart from ruin, and possibly have been the human means of saving her husband's soul. But the greatest pity about it all was that she professed what her keen-eyed husband came to believe she did not possess, or, almost worse conclusion still, if she did possess it, he wanted none of it. And so, starting from narrow and selfish points, and dropping lower in the scale each day, at this time barely fourteen months since they stood together at the altar, and pledged each other in irrevocable vows, this husband had come to believe that what his wife wanted was money, however earned she did not care, money with which she could dress well, and ride where she chose, and have a good time generally with him for an unexceptionable attendant. And she believed that what he wanted was to spend his money on himself, shutting her out. And both believed that to have gone their separate ways would have made them happier. And it was still their individual happiness, and nothing else, that both were eagerly after. What but misery could there be in store for them? It seems now to be necessary to give you a careful view of this sudden change of business. Unlike Mr. and Mrs. Evans, this couple, in their parental homes, had come up under the shadow of a staunch temperance, or rather, total abstinence, regime. Both grandfathers had been pioneers in the temperance movement, in the days when to be openly connected with such movements required heroism. The next generation on Jenny's side, it is true, had weakened a little, but still her father held strongly enough that to be connected in any sense with the making or selling of intoxicants was a very low social position. While Will Coleman had reason to feel as though his long-dead father would rise out of his grave, if he could, to rebuke his son for laxness in this matter. Now you may understand what a leap downward the change of business was. Down lower, it is true, for the man than for the woman, because he covered his position with no foolish subterfuges, such as brains can see through in a moment. He fully realized that he was connecting himself with the liquor traffic. But he realized also another thing, and it was this which increased his bitterness, that his wife would see the increased salary more plainly than she would anything else, and would make no opposition. Neither did she, to him, beyond that first startled question over which he had laughed in sarcasm. 
Then she gave herself up to what she told herself was the inevitable. Will always does exactly as he likes. I have no influence with him. And she dressed herself carefully and set out on the pleasant task of looking up a more congenial boarding place, better suited to their increased means. It was when the plans connected with their removal were nearly completed that Mrs. Evans came to call. Jenny went very slowly downstairs, glad of the confusion in her room, which prevented receiving her cousin there, and hoping that the parlor would be so occupied as to afford no chance for a tete-a-tete, not choosing meantime to define to herself the reason why she desired to avoid a private interview. There were many things in life which Jenny Coleman might have seen had she chosen to look at them. Her hopes were vain, the parlor was deserted, and Mrs. Evans occupied the little tete-a-tete alone. Mrs. Coleman, resolved on taking the defensive at once, explained that her room was so dismantled by reason of preparations for moving that it was not habitable. "'Then it is true,' said Mrs. Evans eagerly. "'I heard you were going to move. Where do you go and why? Oh, Jenny, I hope that the rest of what I heard is false.' Mrs. Coleman, ignoring the latter part of this sentence, calmly and not without evident satisfaction, explained that they were about to go to the Central Avenue boarding house, that they were to have a room on the second floor, larger and in every way pleasanter than the one they were leaving, and that it would be in every way an advantage to them. The class of boarders was superior, the style of the house unexceptionable, and, besides, it would be so much more convenient for Will. Oh, then it is true that he is going into Fargo and Belmont's employ. The exceeding disappointment in her cousin's tones was very apparent. I didn't believe it when I heard the report. It seemed unlike Will. Oh, Jenny, how could you let him do it? What are you talking about? said Mrs. Coleman, her face flushing, but struggling to retain a composed, good-natured voice. I should think it was a subject for congratulation that we were to have as much again income. We have certainly demonstrated the impossibility of living respectably on the small sum that we had. As for letting Will do it, you ought to know by this time how certain a man is to do as he pleases without regard to a woman's advice. I did not know the least thing about this matter until it was all settled." She was not prepared for the sudden, pleased light in Mrs. Evans's eyes. "'Did you not?' she said, still speaking eagerly. "'I am so glad to hear it. I was afraid you had been tempted to yield to it because of the salary, but now you are in a position to protest. I am sure, Jenny, that you can influence Will. It is for your sake he is so anxious to secure a larger income.' most men care for money only on account of their family i think will is peculiarly one of that kind see for how many years he has been content to work away in the store he is thought so much of there too dane says there is a certainty of his being promoted in time oh you will find that you can influence him in fact jenny i believe he will be relieved and thankful to see you are unwilling to have him make more money at the expense of conscience he has told dane more than once how it chafed him to think that he could not give you the position in society that you were fitted to take 
now when he finds that you care more for his highest interests than for any position which the world can offer he will not only be influenced but touched it was a long speech for mrs evans to make she was not a woman of many words you will remember and jenny in the midst of her embarrassment not to say indignation felt a sense of wonderment over the excitement and eloquence of her quiet cousin still she answered with impatience i'm sure i don't know what you mean don't soar into the heroic quite so much talking about will's higher interests and all that nonsense i assure you he is no more fond of poverty than i am and has chafed under it quite as much as for promotion he has been contented to plod along on the strength of that long enough i am glad for my part that he has had the manliness to arouse himself and make a better provision for his family though i am sure i did not urge him to do it but jenny why don't you urge him against it how can you endure it to have him engage in such a business as that really and mrs coleman's laugh was almost as disagreeable as the one her husband had recently cultivated that is a very strange way to talk when one remembers that you and dane have been living on the same business for years your horror is decidedly extreme i should say considering the recoil from it has been so recent it isn't quite the same position jenny dane was only a bookkeeper mrs evans's voice was lower and the flush on her cheek had deepened mrs coleman did not realize what a fresh impulse she had given to her cousin's hatred of the business by this home thrust nor how thankful she grew over the fact that now at least she was free from the stain oh that is all nonsense declared jenny loftily no one but a child would think of making such distinctions dane was just as much connected with the sale of liquor as will will be only will's position is one of greater trust and his salary higher but declared mrs evans dane is free from it now you know for ever i heartily wish he had been long ago i take shame to myself that my eyes were not wider open he is free from everything that is calculated to support you i should judge from all i hear what is he doing for a living perhaps mrs evans would not have been human had not the blood rushed violently even to her very temples at this cold home thrust but she answered still with a quiet voice he has not found any position as yet but of course he hopes to very soon meantime we are not suffering and we have grand friends living on charity i suppose as much i wonder what your mother would think of that well eva i must say i think that you and dane are two fools that is plain language i know but the occasion demands it the idea of his giving up a clerkship that he has held so many years for the sake of a passing whim suggested to him by other people i'm sure if will were as much influenced by the opinion of other women as dane is i should be sorry for him the idea of dane trying to follow callie spafford through all her fanatical absurdities is simply ridiculous and you will see it in that light one of these days i should never have believed that you would be such an idiot if anything would drive will into the very midst of the business it is to see you and dane shrinking in such fanatical horror from it 
actually willing to be dependent on the charity of your poor neighbors. I do not know that Mrs. Evans said a word more than she had meant to say when she left home that afternoon, provided there should be occasion for such plainness of speech. But I think she may have said it more suddenly, and less tenderly, than, but for this strong provocation, she might have done. Her voice was still low, but it was the sort of lowness that betokens intense self-control. Jenny, we need not discuss my husband's prospects or fanaticism. If his recent step was demanded of him by his conscience, God can take care of the results. He and I are both willing to trust our future in God's hands. But there is an entirely different question involved in your husband's position. Aside from a question of right or wrong, is it possible that you do not know what everybody else sees, that it is placing Will right in the line of his most awful temptation? Don't you know that the habit of drinking freely is growing on him every day, and that he is in awful danger of becoming a drunkard? Jenny Coleman, you might almost wish to see him buried, rather than launched on such a whirlpool as that into which he is entering. I came this afternoon to beg of you to use your influence to save him. I know you can do it. Now was Mrs. Will Coleman angry, more angry than she ever remembered being in her life before. She arose from her seat, and came over to where her cousin was sitting, and stood over her, her eyes blazing like two stars, and spoke in slow, measured tones. "'Mrs. Evans, excuse me for saying that I think you have made your call of sufficient length, and I decline talking with you any longer, or receiving further calls from you. When a woman stoops to the act of insulting another woman's husband, incited thereto by a feeling of petty envy because her own husband has been a fool,' and because the other is a rising business man, I think it is quite time that those two women should become strangers. You have chosen to uphold your husband in a piece of lazy folly. I hope you will not starve in consequence. Indeed, we will see to it, my slandered husband and I, that you do not actually suffer want. But as for being cousins any longer, or friends, I have no desire to claim the position." Then she gathered her silken robes about her, and sailed majestically out of the room. As for Mrs. Evans, she did just what you might suppose her to do next. She burst into tears, and sunk in a little crushed heap on the sofa in that great deserted parlor. Only a few minutes for crying. Then she arose, dried her eyes, rearranged her disordered bonnet as best she could, very thankful that the parlor was deserted let herself out at the front door, hailed a passing car, and went home. What about the angry woman? Well, she too cried as soon as she reached her room. Angry tears. She had not the slightest idea of using her influence with her husband to alter his business arrangements. Do her justice. She did not believe she had influence enough to cause him to change his plans. At least not now, after they had been announced to the world, and the new business all but entered upon. Also, do her justice to understand that she did not believe a word of the warning. Will took an occasional glass of wine. She was sorry for that. She had been surprised, years ago, that the son of such a temperance worker as his father had been, 
should be, ever so rarely, a wine-drinker. But she did not believe that the habit was growing on him. She did not in the remotest degree fear his ever being a drunkard. The idea! When his grandfather had been a hero in the temperance world fifty years ago. Besides, Will was a gentleman, she still believed it. He would never be a common drunkard. What unparalleled impudence it was to hint it to her his wife. But being a wife, why did she not recoil in terror from the bare suspicion of it, as it was hinted by other people, and throw her influence powerfully in the scale to prove its falsity? Oh dear, here, as in every other moment of her life where plain seeing was needed, there was a glamour over Jenny Coleman's eyes. The simple fact is, that in her girlhood she had been, just as often as she could bring it about, an attendant at the theatre. She had wept over spurious woes and spurious ruins so often. She had rejoiced over sham heroic deeds so many times. She had applauded mimic virtues so much that nothing anywhere seemed quite real to her. She had, besides, a dangerous talent for the dramatic. It hovered over even her angry talks with her husband, and made her almost insensibly take the tragic air and manner of some favorite actress. And it is an actual fact that real as her anger was that day, intense as she supposed her feeling of wifely indignation to be while she answered Mrs. Evans's warning, she was tormented with the suggestion that her words were wonderfully well chosen, her manner excellent, and that the entire scene would have appeared exceedingly well on the stage. End of chapter 25